Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode we talk about the three pillars of role-playing games, as well as should you fudge dice and your monster's hit points in combat against your players. Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle and I am joined by always by uh, my friend Sir Lucian over there from Sir Lucian Gaming and this is the Saturday morning D&D show. Um, we the show's format is kind of we talk about our D&D games that we've been running and playing in and then we kind of go from there and just whatever conversation kind of spawns up. So today, well first of all Sir Lucian, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I can see chat is already blowing up for us, so that's pretty good. And uh, it's been a great day, and I think it's going to get better. Yeah, so. yeah. It's going to be an awesome day. It's beautiful outside. I, sh I shouldn't be inside. I should be outside later because, no. <laughs> like, spring is here, and it's just gorgeous where I live. Um, first of all, some some coffee. Sure. Everybody needs that to get going in the morning. <laughs> and then some uh, um, some show news, some D&D news that's going on. There wasn't, like a ton of D&D news, but something that I thought was really awesome that I wanted to talk about is the the YouTube channel, the D&D Beyond YouTube channel. They've been making interviews with Mike Merles and Chris Perkins and a bunch of like people from Wizards of the Coast. And they had a really good interview with Chris Perkins about writing your own adventures and writing adventures for other people. And this, is, this was pertinent to my life because I am trying to turn my one shot, um, Dragon on the Mount, into something that I can put on the DMs Guild. And so I've been slowly formatting it and getting friends to help me edit it and make sure commas are in the right places and things like that. Um, but it was a really interesting video because he talked about character motivation. And when you're writing for um, somebody else, it's hard to get that character motivation because you don't know what those characters are. Um, which was really interesting. Like if you're, if, if it's your home group, you know, like I know that Lucian is playing a shadow sorcerer and this shadow sorcerer has X, Y, and Z motivations. And so I can kind of just like work that into the story. But when you don't know that you have to make a broad generalization. Um, and one of the broad like hooks, I guess, that you want to give to your players is, or an easy one that everyone thinks of is money. Like there's a huge uh, dungeon and it's full of a lot of gold. You need to, your motivation is to go in that dungeon and get that gold. The gold. Um, but was what was interesting about it is he was saying like take take that and add multi like tiers to it. So not only is there a lot of gold in there, but there's a rival adventuring company or there's a ri an evil corporation or something that's also trying to do this. So it adds like layers of of problems. But yeah, it was just kind yeah, of I like the idea video. that. It was a way to make sure that your hook appealed to more than just a couple of people. Right. Because the hook of it's just the right thing to do works for some characters, but not all characters right. bite into that. They need a little bit more to push them over. And it, and he, he was talking about adding the little details that make something stand out a little bit more and not be so generic. Because um, he was kind of warning you about both extremes being mm -hmm. not enough or too much he, you know he's trying to put you in the middle and i thought it was a really good uh, video because when i saw it pop up too i thought the same thing like one of my my goals for this year was i want to i want to build an adventure that i can put up on like mm -hmm. dm's guild or or um uh, the drive through rpg yeah. just let people play it out in fact i think it's going to be the the mclancy waddle one that we did um with our group with mm -hmm. you and, and pb and them because i think it's just a great 
succinct adventure, the first part of that, that's kind of fun. I think I want to turn that into a cool adventure that other people can play around with. Um, and even that, there was other, um, Mike Merles did his happy hour, and then Chris Perkins, or, or not Chris Perkins, um, Jeremy Crawford, mm-hmm. then did right after that a critique of class building. So they we had the Mike Merles who's been doing class building one each week, and then um, Jeremy came in and said, now once we have what he's done, this is what the creative team does. So they show you the kind of the phase of going from the very beginning and the designer right. doing the design portion into uh, what the next part was and how they, they fine tune it and why they fine tune it and why he changed things. So the next so, part isn't just play testing. They actually like, no. what do they do? Yeah. Yeah. It goes to the creative team and uh, Jeremy goes through it and then reworks it in such a way at, after basically looks at it from the story point of view to make sure it's not just about the mechanics. It's about the story. Does it fit the story? Does it fit with everything else that's going on? Is it a memorable character class that they're building? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you listen to both of them together, so if you listen to the Mike Merles as he creates the order cleric, the order domain is the one they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then you watch the video of uh, Jeremy talking about how he changed the order domain. They show the differences. This is how it started. This is where it went. And now it's out in the uh, on the Unearthed Arcana article for this month is mm-hmm. the order domain. So it's, there has never been a better time if anybody out there that's sort of a designer or, or cause all GMs are kind of a designer, but if you want to yeah. know how wizards of the coast is building their content and the way they think right now is the best time because there are so many videos they're putting out on their channel in the last three months to show exactly how they do stuff so that you can go and watch those and get a lot of insight and you can make your stuff just like those guys. And right. what it's, it's demystifying the idea that they even say it. it's not hard to do Mm -hmm. right it's not magic it's not rock they use the term it's not rocket science it's the stuff they're doing is cool and once you figure out how they're doing it you can do it too so i think any of us can do it well no the the skeletons there like you just need to fill in the the meat and everything else with it because um i don't know like like when i say skeleton i mean like the numbers and the math are there and you can say oh, I want to make a sorcerer subclass. What do sorcerers get? They all, like every subclass gets something at level three and level five and et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of go through and you just, you just like pluck that in. Like my wife really loves vampires and we've been trying to figure out a way of creating a vampire either like race or a vampire class. Like maybe, maybe you're a tiefling that got bit by vampires or this is your new class and your multi-class into being a vampire. And that's completely doable. You just have to pick a, a class that already exists in D&D and, and mold it and twist it in a way, which is much like what Mike Merles is doing during his happy fun hour. Or at least it feels yeah. like that. Like, I think he sat down. Which one did I watch? Now I can't remember. But He's done a bunch. There's been some yeah. good ones. But I, I think it was, it wasn't a, he was talking about a genie warlock, but it, but I don't think, no. He, he did a Leviathan warlock. A Leviathan warlock. Yep, and then he did a. He's done a Marauder, which is a two weapon barbarian. He's done a Rogue, which was like the acrobat yeah. from the original, um, because he was like the TV cartoon shows. Like, there's an acrobat. We don't have an mm-hmm. acrobat. Let's do an acrobat subclass. Um, he talked about a domain, a new domain for the Order domain. He talked about a fighter. Um, there's one. I think it was maybe like a a giant sorcerer or. 
Yeah, he was doing one that's the that one was... that I really paid attention to, I guess. Well, not so much yeah. because clearly I'm blanking on it. But um, it was like it was like you were a sorcerer with like giant blood in you, and so you could yeah. grow. And they had like a rage mechanic, so he he took the rage mechanic from barbarians and applied it to sorcerers, where he would you would go into like a giant sorcerer rage. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. This like like the skeletons there, the math is there. You just kind of have to mold it and tweak it to a, a fun theme. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, see if it's balanced at your table, I guess. That's the other thing is yeah. you just got to yeah. play Yeah, and I think it. play testing goes into that. But I just I just realized that it's so cool that if any of you were out there and you're thinking you want to do something like that, you can get direct words from the mouth of Wizard of the Coast, how they do it right now, watching their videos and say, these are the things we think about. These are the things we keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things you can think about. Those are the things you can keep in mind. And then you can build a really cool class for your campaign class for your players to try out or uh like we were talking about uh, an adventure how to think about doing adventures and how to do adventures when you think more people are going to consume it than just yourself yeah no um they're putting out good stuff yeah they are it's it's really cool um and what else do we want to talk about for some news yeah so i saw i wanted to just kind of shout out a little bit to um i was on last night uh, as I normally am goofing around and I saw WebDM did a stream of their GM prep for, mm-hmm. they've got two shows running right now on Twitch. Um, I think they also have their Patreon, which is nice and big and they're, they're creating podcasts for them and content for mm-hmm. them. And I think what they did last night, cause it felt like it was the first time they've done it, um, was this idea of we'll, we'll do this as a podcast, but we'll also broadcast it live, um, and show some DM prep and talk about DM prep. So they were talking about, the things that Pruitt and Jim, you know, think about or go through or, you know, advice that they would give when they're talking about prep in their campaign session. Hmm. So I really thought I don't, I was won't on like Twitch? try to, yeah, it was on Twitch. Okay. And I'm, I don't know if they'll put it on their YouTube. I don't know if it then goes to their Patreons as a podcast or if they're going to put it on YouTube also, or if you can just watch it on the VODs, if you can catch it, hopefully you can. Uh, maybe I'll send a Twitter out and find out just to those guys. Say, yeah. Hey, where can we see this? Cause it'd be nice to see it. Cause it was a lot of good information. It's more about, not them telling you what you should do, but it was more about them explaining, these are the things we've done. Mm-hmm. You can choose to see if any of those would work for you. That that was, you know, that was the kind of vibe. And it was very kicked back, laid back, both of them talking very similar to our format right here. I was I thinking, <laughs> oh, I see a, a Friday night D&D They don't have just that like... <laughs> beautiful backdrop that was hand-drawn no. by Jordan. That's no. true. That's what they're missing. <laughs> So I just wanted to encourage people to go check it out. Um, he talked about something in there. I'll just give you a little hint that make make you further want to go seek it out. He talked about something new he is trying out and that he found. This is Jim that uh, called the plot bomb, a way to come up with campaign ideas, the way to prep your campaign ideas, and it was called a plot bomb. So it was really hmm. interesting. I'll let his words explain it. I'll let yeah. it, it was very we'll interesting the way I heard it. Yeah, if you can find it on their Twitch channel or their YouTube channel um, or your Patreon of them and they do it as a podcast, uh, one of those three, I'm sure, uh, check it out because it was very interesting. So I just thought I'd Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the WebDM boys. They're fun people. Yeah. Um, cool. What's going on in your games, Mr. Lucian? Did you so play, any game, play any D&D yeah. this week? <laughs> I did. I played some D&D. It wasn't a ton, but it was definitely some. Um, so my Monday night, which was the Storm King's Thunder, we're still on break from that. Um, we were at a really good place to break for that, and I felt like we needed a few months off. Mm. Um, and I needed a place where I could put in some other game stuff that I want to try out. In fact, we have a one-shot that's coming up pretty soon 
not this Monday. Uh, I might just stream us talking about the character creation and some of the world stuff that we're going to do. Um, we're, I'm going to base it in Tal'Dorei. So I'm doing oh, the really? like, Mercer okay. campaign. Yeah. The critical uh, it is a 5e. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's called the uh, uh, Sky of Swords is the name of this one shot I'm doing. It's a one shot that Cyberwolf, who's there in our chat and indoor Yay, adventures, Cyberwolf. can play in. Graybeard's going to play in. So all these people that, you know, have been subscribing to our channel have getting a chance to play one shot, you know, with some of us. And so that's been cool. So that's coming up on the 30th, the actual show. We have a probably a prep show this coming Monday. We didn't do anything this past week. I just left it alone. Tuesday, I was getting geared up for my Adventures League, but that's the one that just gets rescheduled kind of often. So I, it's oh, very sad. hit and miss. I love playing it, but, you know, it's at the whims of everybody's schedule. So... Um, we didn't get anything done on Tuesday. Then Thursday hit, and finally, exactly what I wanted was my Borderlands game. My pre-West Marches game, my my character-driven game, my campaign that I've been saying every week is my one-hour prep before the show starts. So before we we the session gets going, I do one hour of prep, and that is it. I don't do anything else for this game. And it's been working out really well. It's been really good. They just came off, if you remember from our last uh, Saturday morning show, I talked about they fought ghosts, and we talked about how cool possessing players was and oh, how yeah. dramatic that made that fight and how they really thought things were there was a TPK on the way. Well, I set up this funny thing. So here's a, here's a GM thing. I set up this scene that I wanted to... Have you ever done this? Where you set a scene up that you want to impart some information but it's more like they're they're witnessing it. You don't necessarily want them to interact with it, right? So here was here's what it was. They're trying to rest in a hut um, after this big fight. They're all hurt. They're all at like four or five hit points. Mm -hmm. Very bad off, hiding in this hut. They heard at the end of that episode the drums of orc warband somewhere near. So they were all like at the end of that session, they're like, oh, crap, you know, what's going on? So I start the session and I'm like, they're hearing the drums. It's getting a little closer. They have one person at the door watching. And I say, you see a dozen orcs who are cautiously coming out of the jungle seem to be looking in all directions and very cautiously heading towards <laughs> this little town they're in, this little village. But they don't see you. It's clear they have no idea you're there. Mm -hmm. And they keep looking behind them. They keep looking around. Right? So I'm, I'm building this scene up. And then all of a sudden, I say to the guy who's at the door watching, which happens to be Greybeard. He knows who he is. Uh, <laughs> he's at the door. You know, I'm like, hey, uh, one of the orcs gets pulled back into the into the brush. And just it's just a, 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 a mix of bushes and nothing else. It's gone. And then another one and another one. All of a sudden, these orcs are just being massacred right in front of them by spiders that appear out of nowhere take them and then suck them back into the into the wood in the forest uh -huh. and they disappear they're coming in and out in and out so i'm i'm setting up this scene in my head as a gm that said i want them to know that the spider faction they're fighting has phase spiders okay they come in and out i want them to know that the the spiders are wiping out the orcs. That, that was the whole point of the scene. What I didn't realize was going to happen was my player decided that when I had one of the orcs run away from the, the spiders in sheer panic towards the hut that they were hiding in, in my head during my prep session, I thought, okay, this is going to be cool because they're going to let this dude in, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to quiet him down. They're going to hide 
the spiders are going to go away and they're going to be able to have this cool interaction with this orc who clearly can't beat the, the team of five. A chance for them to get information, a chance for them to do something. What I didn't think was going to happen was that the bear form druid was going to kill the guy the minute he stepped in the doorway with one hit and that was it. And then take the body and throw it outside the hut. Wow. Which drew in the spiders. And then I thought, uh oh, I hadn't planned for a fight with phase spiders in my team who's mm. hurt, but we're going to run with it. <laughs> I was like, it has to go now. So the phase spiders come over, they attack, two of their guys go down. Um, it's a nasty, cool creature if you haven't seen it. I know it was in Critical Role not too long ago, too. They fought a phase spider. Mm. Um, and I've been wanting phase spiders in my campaign for a while. There's a faction in my thing that is spider faction, so I get to use all the cool spiders and stuff, and I've been wanting to use it. And they get a near TPK again because they drew these spiders in and they weren't quite ready for it. And the big complaint was I got from a couple of the players was, man, I, we didn't even get a chance to rest, and we ha- we we're right into another fight. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You didn't get a chance to rest, and you were in another fight, and it was your fault. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. I didn't plan it. It was all on you and your actions suck it you know it's just like, <laughs> so but they was really fun so they played they they made it through it um now the other reason i wanted to bring it up i, I over explained it a little bit so it was the idea that all i wanted to do was to give them this scene of there's two factions that are fighting mm-hmm. and maybe they can take that information and use it in some way it didn't go that way for them it went in the total fear direction for them and they just hit anything that moved at that point so it totally didn't do what i wanted it to do as a GM, but I'm like, okay, you know, we'll just roll with it. We'll just run. Yeah. The second thing that I wanted to bring up about that was the swinginess, which I don't even think is a word of D and D five E the fight goes from the first roll I make does a 17 points of damage to our thief wrecks him plus another 17 points or 12 points of poison. He's down. Just, just imme- They're third-level characters. Just yeah. immediately down. Um, and, and I'm shocked because of how much it does right away. Everybody in the, in the party is like, whoa, this is going crazy. And then the rest of the fight, I can't roll to hit any of them. Like I'm rolling fives and sixes and sevens, and I'm not hitting <laughs> any of them, and they wipe them out, right? So it, it, it shows me... The one frustration that I think, and the reason we see so many videos, the reason we see so many articles, the reason we see so many podcasts and blogs about how to create a correct um, uh, encounter, mm-hmm. the reason we see so much of that is inherently because of how swingy the 20-sided dice and D&D 5e is currently. Mm. Because you think you can create something that seems balanced, and yet the dice throws everything out of whack like you hit your player hard in that first round and somebody goes down and all of a sudden that balanced you know it's uh, that downward counter you built because now you have and you think you've done something wrong yeah yeah and you think you've done something wrong but it was the dice that just really threw things out of out of whack so the lesson for me and this is I think the reason we do our show every week is that we always learn lessons because me and you are running games or playing in games mm-hmm. and we still are learning every time we do something, no matter what game it is or what it's about. And we try to share it is that don't let that discourage you. It's not something you did wrong. If it happens, 
the dice can kill your players or the dice can kill an encounter that you thought would be hard and then they just walk right through it. Mm-hmm. Like, because if you can't roll as a DM who only has one guy and he's tough, but he only gets one or two abilities during the round and then your five players get all their abilities and you whiff one or two rolls, yeah. that fight goes all of a sudden to a cakewalk and they're just like, ah, eh, you know, we just walked through this. It's yep. no big deal. You know, so be it's D and D is doing that to us. Not all games are that way. Other games have went to other dice systems because of the swinginess of the twenty sider. And I'm not saying you should switch or change it. Just be aware of it and don't let it get you down if it happens to you. Sometimes the dice can make that crazy. Well, will you fudge dice in a in a in two hit? Like, I mean, that's an option that uh, I'll admit that I've done in the past, where I'm just like, I know that this is a, a medium or a hard fight, and they're gonna walk right over it. And so I'll do things like this monster, regardless of hit points, will last three rounds. And I'll, or I'll yeah. say, I'll say, uh, the first hit will automatically be like, or the, he'll hit the first two times and then I'll roll dice for the rest of them. Um, and my players don't know this. I'm like rolling dice, but it's, it's, a when I know, I guess ahead of time that they're going to like walk right over it, I'll make it a little more challenging that way just to be like, I need to, and usually in my mind, that's to soften them up for an, another fight that's happening. Um, the, the one that I talked about last weekend where they were fighting the giant, like Yuanti snake people, um, there were specific fights that were in front of that, that were designed to soften them up for this bigger fight that I knew was going to be, I wanted that fight to be more challenging. So yeah. Yeah. I think what I've done, I've, I'm doing the exact same thing. So the way I say this doesn't mean, um, I'm doing it differently. Right. I don't fudge the dice. Okay. I fudge the hit point total. Right. Okay. So it's the same effect. So they still see the dice roll. And I only do it very rarely, but I only do it for... Oh, because you're playing online so they can see your dice rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget. I'm rolling behind a screen. (laughs) Yeah. For narrative effect, I may want something to last one more round. I'll give you an example. Uh, We we played the McLancy Waddle, and you guys were fighting the big bad at the end of that. The Drider? Yeah, the, the Drider. But I wanted the guy that Greybeard was fighting was the doppelganger who looked okay. like one of the other players. But he hit that doppelganger so hard, I wasn't going to get a chance for that to play out. Right. The the Because he just hit that first one so hard. It right. was just like the doppelganger doesn't have a ton of hit points. But I needed the effect of you see Magpie's character. And for some reason, Magpie is hitting you. And and he played it really well to like, what? Why is Magpie hitting me? And he's like hitting back or, you know, and then it switches. So I really wanted the effect to go another couple rounds. And then it turned to run. It ran off. And then you guys shot it with an arrow and it went down type thing. And it gave me two or three rounds, even though it really didn't have that many yeah. hit points to stand through all that. I gave it the hit points. So I didn't fudge any of the dice necessarily. But that doesn't mean I'm not doing the same thing. I'm fudging the results of that a little bit narratively. Now I don't do it a lot and I don't do it often, but if I feel like there's a narrative thing, I want to get a a point across, then I might make something last around or more um, that way. Yeah, that makes sense. But they see the dice rolls. So roll 20 for the most part, I have all the dice rolls out in front. You could roll in secret if you wanted to, but I I think that's less fun with an online game like that where everybody's seeing the dice, I guess. So here's what you don't want to do. What you don't want to do is switch midway. 
Right, right, right. right. So you don't want to be showing dice, showing dice, and all of a sudden you need an important roll that you need to go a certain way and then hide that roll. Yeah. So that you can make it go the way you want. Because that's where the players won't go along with you. Um, So if you're always showing roles or you're always hiding roles, they're with it. They're bought in. They realize you're making a good story. They won't, you, you know, you're not necessarily ham fisting them through stuff. But if you try to switch midway, I think that's where you're going to lose your player buy in from wait a minute. And what's happening? I agree with you in like switching wholeheartedly, but like very often I will roll behind a screen and I will tell them the rolls. And I'm, I'm very like, I'm open about it. Like if people are just like, did you really roll a 20? I'm like, you can come look at it kind of a thing. Um, because I, I usually go off of the dice, but, um, when there's a super important role, like when it's life or death, like when we were in the tomb of horrors and it was the saving throw for a Sarak like himself, I'm just like, no, I'm, and I'll, I'll roll that one important role out in the open. Cause it gives yeah. it, it gives it a sense of, of power, I guess. So. Yeah. yeah and I think going from hidden to Urgency. open is okay. Going from open to hidden for one role is probably the one you don't want. Yes. To. That's yeah. I can agree <laughs> with that. <laughs> So that was kind of the thing I learned from um, the Thursday night campaign. A couple of things that I set up a scene Mm -hmm. where I wanted it to create an image, create something that was cinematic, give them some information and it didn't go the way I wanted, but that's okay. We'll move on. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that happens. Um, Don't force it. Just roll with it if it happens. And then the second thing was the real swinginess of the dice can make these, these battles tough. Um, So don't, don't get down on yourself if it happens to you. Um, other than that, that was my Borderlands game. That's my pre-West Marches game. Um, there was a really cool thing about the Space Spider. If you do want to do a nice third level, fourth level encounter where you're using several Face Spiders, here's a really cool thing for you GMs out there to use those spiders. Here's the reason why. If they go down because of the poison, which usually is what knocks them down, mm-hmm. it says in the rules of the poison, if they go to zero, they are unconscious, but are stable. Right, because the spiders want to take them back and eat them or something. Right, so, yeah. So this no allows you throws. to let your your players have a hard fight, maybe get a technical wipe, but you can story continue on because they're going to be dragged off to a cave. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to wake up from the poison or whatever at some point, and then maybe they can continue their adventure from there. It's not like other yeah, things. Like if that's you're, awesome. If you throw frost giants at them and they hit them with a rock, you know, 25 yeah. points of boulder damage is 25 points of boulder damage. It's just like, and then your halfling with an invisible ring and a sword called Sting can save yes. all of the dwarf party from, yeah. <laughs> Man, that, you should you should write that into a book or that, something. It would that be really good, really cool. I think, now that I think. I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but, like, that right. seems like a really good narrative. Yeah. <laughs> so... So that was definitely, that's what I'm learning. This game, the the Thursday Night Borderlands game, which I unfortunately am not streaming because it's a group of friends and I wasn't quite comfortable putting these friends online because some of them were just, they're not online people, yeah. but they want to play D&D. Um, it's been a really good adventure. It's been really fun. Pre-West marches, one hour prep only. Um, it is a hex crawl to the max. It's special rules. Like uh, if you roll ones, your weapon does less damage. Um, you have to roll for rations every day. They roll rations. So on day one, if they roll a one, that ration was rotten and they have to take another ration. Yeah. I like that. So there's, and then on day two and then on day three. So there's all these little things that they have to play around with. Um, they're city building. They're doing all kinds of cool stuff. So it's been a really fun campaign that I've set up. Um, it's, it's, I just can't 
I can't wait to do more of it for real. Like this has been the test phase of it. Mm -hmm. It's been really good. So the test has gone good. Other than that, our Saturday morning D&D show, which you're here live for, which is awesome. And then we have the upcoming Sky of Swords one shot that's going to be with some subscribers uh, from the channel. Mm -hmm. Cyberwolf and Indoor Adventurer is going to join us again. And we're going to play. I'll give you a, a small little premise um, these are characters where it's going to be in the third level area. I don't know why I like playing in the third level area, but I do. Um, <laughs> the premise behind this is, uh, none of them have met each other. So we're going to do a one shot where the group has never met before. Okay. Um, that's the one thing I wanted to do. The second thing I wanted to do is they all have in some way acquired, been given, inherited, stolen, found some way a sword. And when they took possession of that sword, they were made aware of the prophecy of the sword. And if they were going to keep the sword, they had to agree to participate in the prophecy. So all five characters in some way mm. have this sword. They're allowed to say what sword it is and what it's made of and what it looks like. But they have no idea what the powers are because the sword has never worked for them until our one shot. Cool. So it's the awakening of the sword. It's the awakening of the powers. It's bringing five people together that would have no reason to be together in any other way. And they have been called now that the prophecy has called them. They have to travel and they have to do the bidding of the prophecy because they've acquired these five swords. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be a really cool thing to allow. Um, I wanted a session where we didn't do everybody already knows each other. Let's move on past that and just get into whatever the campaign is or whatever the session right. is. I wanted to do a session where everybody didn't know each other and we could do those first introductions and see how that team chemistry builds from people that are strangers. I wanted a session like that. Um, the other thing I wanted to do was this cool idea of a powerful weapon artifact in the hands of low-level characters. What are they going to use that against and what large things can I throw at them because they have powerful artifact-type weapons? So that was kind of the premise of, hmm, cool. um, of the one shot. So that's coming up. That's going to be the 30th. We're going to do a little kind of pre-prep show, or I guess some people call it session zero sometimes um, show on Monday. Um, that just, I want to get, I want to get their swords down. And I've told them not to tell each other what classes they're playing. They don't know anything about each other <laughs> this time around. Yeah. So it's going to be, I mean, they could all come up. The, the big joke in chat was, oh, here we go. It's going to be like five bards and a sword. You know, it's going to yeah, be like, well, yeah. that's, what, that's what's going to happen. We'll see how that goes. I'd play so, that campaign. Um, five bards yeah, and a sword. That's like a <laughs> Saturday night TV show. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing that's coming up. That's the kind of stuff you guys can look forward to um, when subscribing to the channel, to the Twitch channel here. We're setting up one shots with people and we're just doing a lot of different um, ideas and adventures and stuff. So that has been my week in Dungeons and Dragons. Sweet. All right. You can be in a one shot now. Sweet. <laughs> you want to be in a one shot? I might want to be in a one shot. We'll see. How about you run the one shot? That would be good too. I could you do get that. a Jordan run. one. We could too. get That'd me to good. run something. That'd be fun. Um, so your weekend in my Dungeons week in D and D. So, uh, we played Numenera, and it was a very uh, my my two games were kind of similar. But my Numenera game, we did a lot of exploration. Um, we went uh, just 
we kind of left this giant worm thing that we were and if you guys aren't watching this, it's on Saber Dice, but um, Mike is in a fantastic GM. And if you want to learn, like if you want to watch a really fantastic GM and kind of learn from him, like I really recommend he, he describes things so well. And this Numenera game is just such a story driven game that I'm not used to it. I'm used to like, you know, we, we kind of role play, role play, we explore, we explore, and then we, then we combat. And this has all kind of been this fluid. And I think that's just Numenera in general kind of lends itself to that, but it's been a lot of fun. So we, we just did a lot of exploring. Um, there was like a puzzle we had to get through, but it made me, um, one of, one of the players was talking about the, the three like pillars of, of role-playing games, like exploration, combat, and role-play and how his favorite is exploration. So he really loved that episode because he's like, no, like I love exploration. And all we did was just explore around and, and figure out things. And it wanted to make me ask you like Lucian, what is your favorite of the pillars or how do you, I I guess I'll start with that. Like, do you have a favorite when you're running a game or playing in a game? I think running and playing are different. Um, Yeah. I think I really like exploration with a DM or a GM that has a very well thought out um, world or area that we're in because you can kind of tell a little bit if it's more of an off the cuff or more of a a improv game Mm -hmm. that if you keep asking too many questions, they're just like, move on. Right? right, you get that that feeling of, hey, it's a fence, and you're like, well, what kind of fence? What's it made out of? And they're like, well, you know, it's just a <laughs> fence that keeps you, you can't really get over it. And you're like, but is it made of metal? Is it made of wood? You know, because you're trying to explore your your things, and you're trying to really get into it, but they're trying to move you to the plot line, right? Yeah. So I kind of pick up off those cues. I want to explore a world. I want, um, Ready Player One, right? I want this weird dungeon master that is only there to say there's this great big living world in front of you and wherever you're going to go i'm ready for you whatever you want to mm-hmm. do whatever rock you want to unturn i've got this right that i love pick totally. a pick, and I don't, some, pick a hex square and yeah we'll like yeah. yeah and and i don't want you know if they don't want that game i don't want to disrupt it because i want to play exploration but they want to get to mm-hmm. plot line or they want to get to combat i'm going to roll with it because I love the second thing that's really close to that is I love a good tactical combat. I am super about tactical combat, the understanding of movement, momentum, um, how to draw things in, how to flank certain things, how maneuvering and terrain can change a battle, how to use things in interesting ways that maybe the GM hasn't even figured out you're going to try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that very tactical combat aspect. I do realize that it slows the game down when you get that into it. Um, and not everybody loves that, right? So some people love the story more than they love, you know, the, the two hour combat that they did with, you know, whatever yeah. they, they jumped into. But I think my second highest is combat. And I love to run combat. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing that all of my campaigns, all of the things I run are combat heavy. And I want to try to become better at not just being combat heavy. Yeah. So when you say the three pillars, um, Lucian as a GM needs to work on the exploration pillar a little bit. And I need to work on, so we said ex- exploration, combat. What was the third? Role pillar? play. Yeah. Role like, play. Like chatting. Yeah. Yeah. Chatting with NPCs, chatting with the yeah, other yeah. players, I guess. Yeah. I need to add more of that in 
um, to my campaign because I've got combat locked down. I feel mm-hmm. like I can do a good combat. I'm okay with exploration. I need a better NPC interaction or diplomacy or um, probably social interaction would probably be the other the other pillar. Um, I need to do those better in my campaign. So I need to work on yeah. those. I need to practice that muscle. So I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, I I think I like combat the most. I don't know. Like, I like utilizing these tools that we have. Um, but in the Numenera game, combat is kind of the same as everything else. You just roll dice to kind of see how, how things are going to work. Um, can you scale this thing? Roll strength. Can you attack this thing? Roll strength. So it's all kind of the same. Like, do you, do you want to see this? Roll intelligence. Do you want to um, do a mind blast spell? Roll intelligence. Uh, and it was... I don't know. It was just an interesting game for me because I don't put a lot of value on exploration. I usually want the DM to be like, no, you guys are here. This is kind of where you're going because I want to get to the next combat or I want to get to the next um, thing where I get to play with my toys. But the whole game was very um, just we were just going from place to place and the DM was making up a lot of stuff as we go. And we would ask him like, well, do we see this? And he's like, yeah, you do. Like you see something like this and it would kind of expand on that. Uh, this kind of goes into my adventure league game that I was playing at the game store, my friendly local game store where that game, we had zero combat and exploration a little bit, but it was all role play. And we were supposed to walk into a village and we were encouraged to talk to all of these different NPCs to get clues. And partially it was the dice rolls. Like we were rolling fours and threes when we were trying to get like persuasions and, and uh, uh, insight checks to see if people were lying and stuff. So they were just like, yeah, no, you believe them. And we're like, okay, if I believe them, I guess I, I kind of move on to the next one. We go on to the next NPC and the next NPC. We got zero clues though like through our talking we got zero clues about what we were supposed to do or who we were supposed to talk to and finally i turned to the group and i'm like guys do we suck at role playing and everyone kind of laughed and i'm like i know that that's like funny and we're we're joking about it but i really feel like we do (laughs) like we're not getting any any further in this story um and it made me think this morning when i was you know thinking about our show and what we're going to talk about that I probably value combat too much and D and D and maybe it's cause I played fourth edition a lot and fourth edition was like, we were always just waiting till you got to your next combat because that's kind of what that game was. Like it really, it really, uh, shown well in combat, like combat encounters were super balanced. The whole game kind of revolved around having encounter cards and things like that that you did. Um, and so I need to change and like, maybe I need to run, um, that expansive world. Like maybe I need to, and maybe that's hot springs Island, honestly, now that I think about it, but maybe I need to run that world where I know every little piece of it and people can just go and explore and see what's going on. And, and we'll, we'll run an entire session. That's just exploration or they go to a village and we'll run an entire session. That's just what's going on in this village, like trying to figure things out. And now yeah, that I, I say that... that out loud, sorry, I'm going to say one more thing. Now that I say that out loud, um, there's this great module called Scarab of Death that I bought that I'm going to run my tabletop crew, through, tabletop crew through. And that is entirely role-playing, and it's a mystery to solve. There's no combat whatsoever. They just have to, like, solve a mystery. So it's like Scooby-Doo who did it kind of thing. Um, and it was old man Jenkins the entire time, and he would have gotten away with it too. But... Yeah. 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 That made me think of two things because like last night I had a phone call from one of my players who 
said at the end of our session um, in the Borderlands game, um, they decided to head north. It's a hex crawl, so they can yeah. do whatever they want. But he said at this one point, he's like, you know, it's, we're at we're towards the end of that session, and we're asking a bunch of questions, and you're telling us about this big mountain that we're seeing that's covered with spider webs. But all these questions, you keep just saying, you know, kind of there's more spider webs, or you're telling us about the spider webs. Right. We could, I, I couldn't tell what you wanted us to do. And I was like, well, I don't want you to do anything. I'm just explaining what you're yeah. seeing. You're like, See, I, I, I have that no where I'd be clear. Like, where do we go, yeah. Lucian? <laughs> like, what yeah, do you yeah. Want and us I was like, do? that's the, that, that's one issue to be careful of, right? Yeah. So if we're playing in a game that's going to be very open world, you're, you have to re-emphasize to the players that you are driving this. There is no thread that the GM is trying to lead you somewhere. I'm just yeah. explaining, this is what you see. You do what you want with that information. And they're just like, so he's like, I, I didn't know what you wanted us to do. Now, the second thing to that, I think, um, bring it all the way back around to the beginning of the, the show, mm -hmm. where you talked about Chris Perkins talking about his adventure. Yeah. He said something in there that stuck in my head that said, don't make an adventure that only has one way to solve it. Yeah. That's so true. I wonder if you ran into something where he's running something, the GM has this thing is like, here's this one question that if they ask, they get the one answer they need. Right. But the players never ask that question. So now it becomes this weird fumbling loss of momentum. Everybody's kind of not sure what's going on. You don't know how to give it. A, how, yeah. You can't even give it to them because there's only one thing. You can't even yeah. hint at it or you're just giving it to them. So that might be something to be careful of too as a GM. Make sure that whatever you're doing when it's an information type thing, don't make only one solvable way. If it's a puzzle or there's only one clue they can find that's going to solve it, don't do that. Find many ways for them to come up with a way to do it because yeah. you're just never going to know what questions they ask. Or, or in, I would yeah, say ahead. is don't, don't uh, like if you have a puzzle or if you have information that needs to get out there, don't put it in your mind that they have to ask this question. Like if you don't have an answer, then whatever the players come up with will spark you and be like, Oh, I can give it to them like this, or I can do this or, Oh, you know, and I don't know, like, they, I'll give they you instead a of talking example. to that NPC, they decide they want to go search around the back of the barn. Oh, well, then they find a note, and this note will point them to the right direction or something. You know, like you, if you don't, if you don't say to yourself, "They have to do X before I can do Y," then then you are going to be a more uh, free-thinking dungeon master. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this will happen to you if you're running Storm King's Thunder. Uh, your group at a certain point will go and talk to an oracle. In the module, they have written out, here are the possible questions your players might ask you. And it's a long list, mm -hmm. and here's the answers that you could give to them. And when my players went through it, they asked some questions, but mostly way different questions. And they never came around, because when you're reading it, you're like, oh yeah, all these questions make sense in my head. These are all things I would ask. This is perfectly going to lead them to where they need to go next. My players did not make that leap of logic that they made in the module. So I had to quickly volunteer information and steer it a little bit because the way they were thinking about my answers wasn't the way they were intended, mm -hmm. right? So I would say something like, here's this answer you get, and they took it a totally different way than I meant it or a totally different way than I said it and went, and that clouded 
how they asked the rest of their questions. Right. Because the miscommunication happened on the very first question they asked about. So that's a very, it, it was, when I looked at that, I was trying to remember, like eventually I want to do a video where I talk about Storm King's Thunder and how you would run it from a DM's perspective, from somebody who's run it now for two years. Yeah. And say, these are the things that, keep in mind, that's going to be a big part of that video is that one little chapter because that's such a hard thing to do is to act like an oracle where your players can ask you questions and the oracle asks answer truthfully. Um, but how do you keep them on the story thread and how do you not sidetrack them with something you say that they take the wrong way? Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, uh, so it, it was crazy when during this episode, how it worked out. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what I wanted to talk about. And we kind of did talk about it, but uh, it was weird. My Numenera game was so ex exploration heavy and my uh, Adventure League game was so role play heavy. And I felt like I was lacking at both because I'm just like, I really like combat and I enjoy combat. But I will say my bard having jack of all trades and uh, expertise in persuasion, I was doing a lot better at like role play roles and stuff. So um, we got to a point where uh, I think the DM was taking pity on us and trying to put us, push us back into the direction of one of these NPCs that could give us information. And this one was like a crazy guy that was talking about a Dracolich. And we talked to him and we kind of like figured it's like, okay, he saw Dracolich. He's just kind of crazy right now. We'll go away. We ended up coming back because we saw him like slinking around and I did like a really nice, like, you can trust me. Like you need to tell me these things and like, I'm really good and all this stuff. And so we did a persuasion and I rolled, uh, I have like a plus seven in persuasion. So I rolled really well. And, and he's just like, okay, I'm going to level with you. Like I'm part of a secret gang of order of people that's going to cause da 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 da. And I, I came here to like scout it out and it's like, okay, that was the missing piece of the puzzle that we were trying to get this entire time. It just yeah. took us like two hours of talking to random NPCs to finally get to this point. So, yeah, that's the, that's something we're all still learning. I think is the, you know, the, the, the fine handling of information mm -hmm. giving over to our players so that they not only get the information they need or want, um, we don't mislead them. They get the right stuff or we encourage them to get to the right stuff. Too. Right. I noticed a question in chat yeah. um, from Cyberwolf is in those kinds of games, uh, the pick up a rock and I'll tell you what's underneath it. So I'm uh, the, the open world games, the, the massive game. How do you balance sowing seeds about the world without just dumping information on the players or going too into what do you want here and I'll make it happen? No challenge. Hmm. So I think it's the idea of, yeah, there, there's this, a lot of people will hear in videos out there, the lore dump, right? Yeah. So it's the term that a lot of people will, when they're doing GM advice, talk about don't just do the lore dump or be careful of the lore dump or, you know, you lose your players when it happens, that kinds of things. Uh, Colville will often say a lot about, a lot of times your players don't care. Like, yeah. that's all stuff you put a lot of energy into and they may or may not care about the pantheon you have selected. They may or may not care about the constellations in your world. There's things they do care about, but those might not be the things. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have this weird thing about prepping games. How much do I prep? Because you don't know where their interests are going to go. How detailed do I get about the church system? How detailed do I get about the money system, the economics? Yeah. Do they even care about any of that stuff? Um, and, and the answer has always been, um, I think, do what is fun, right? So yeah. that's whatever you find fun. If you want to build a whole currency system because you think that's super awesome, then do it. Um, but the thing I've learned now, and I credit Matt Colville's videos for it, 
is instead of reading lore as if it's an encyclopedia um, entry, mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, explain it in a way that has action. Make it an actionable description that provides information. So as an example, if you're going to, you want your players to know about Let's say there's a certain church group here that's in this village, and it's it's dedicated to a certain god. Instead of having them roll history, and then when they roll a good high history check, you get the encyclopedia that says, well, this is the church of um, Leviatar, mm-hmm. and you know that the clerics of Leviatar wear this. The, uh, the church temple's architecture is usually gothic. Uh, they have this, and the, instead of going into like that type of information, make them watch a video on it on Forgotten Realms. Explain. That's no. true. <laughs> <laughs> Roll a video at your table. Just be like, this one right here explains it. But set up a scene that gives you that information. So when that happens, have a cleric, a Leviatar interact with an NPC in yeah. front of them. Have the NPC mention the name of Leviatar, have the cleric say the name, have the cleric tell you the things that are important by the scene they're seeing in front of them through action versus through an encyclopedia kind of dump. So yeah. I think when I'm doing these West Marches stuff, that's what I'm trying to do. If I if they're moving into a hex that is dangerous, I want to explain why it's dangerous. Not just you see signs of danger, I want to say, hey, as you're walking through here, you see the corpse of a deer with its head torn off. You see webbing in all of the branches. You see the what looks like the remains of a battle has happened here. It's like armor is strewn everywhere, broken weapons. You know, give it an action to the, the scene description versus the um, just the, the detail. Yeah, knowledge, so guess, if it the... feels like like the way you're describing it to your players, if you could also just hand them um, a PDF or, or something you wrote, that's probably the incorrect way of doing it. And if it feels exactly the same, don't do it like that. Um, but like I, I use a lot of my lore information stuff is just have the players ask questions. So if you create enough curious things around, like they'll start asking questions. Like my players found a skeleton with a human torso and a snake-like, or a human upper torso and a snake-like lower torso. And that was the first like hint that the Yuanti were running around. And they were just like, well, what is this? Do I know anything about this? And I'm like, you don't, it, it could be anything. Like you're not really sure. And they ultimately decided to do like speak with dead on it. And so they got some further information, but that was them asking questions. And then I, I'm giving them lore based on the questions they're asking. Um, they met another NPC who is saying like, he's like, well, we don't, I don't really like the Uwanti. And it's like, well, why don't you like the Uwanti? Well, they're dirty. Well, why are they dirty? Well, they're like half snake people. Like nobody likes them. They're kind of scum of the earth. And so they're getting a sense of like, this is how the world treats the Uwanti. Um, and yet now they're walking into a temple that is just snakes everywhere. And so it's like, well, why are they pushed to the outside? I don't know. Like if you create situations like that where it sparks their curiosity. And so in, yeah. and you don't really have to. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of an example where you would have to be like, I need to give you the information, like this information. Like you need to know that Loviatar is the maiden of pain and she is this goddess and she died or she, you know, like there's there's really not a situation that I can think of off the top of my head where somebody would need that information. Now, if they yeah. start asking questions, that's when you can give them. Like, well, what, a, what are the, the priestesses of Loviatar wear? Like, why do they, why do they look like that? Or like you say, 
you see, you know, someone walking by wearing a chainmail bikini. <laughs> it's like, well, why is she wearing that in the middle of the desert? Oh, well, that's a priestess of Leviatar. Well, why do they wear that? Oh, because it's hot and it's painful. And they're like the God, you know, they worship the goddess of pain. So, yeah. 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 I think it's, it's, it's couching details and information in scenes of action. Yeah. Um, and uh, Matt Colville will talk about it like when, because um, he was working for a game company and they wanted him to do some lore on, you know, the game that he was talking about. He's like, no, I'm just going to write a story. The story is going to tell you all about this world. I don't need to tell you that. We're on planet number four. It's a habitable C-class planet. Yeah. It's this wide or anything. No, what he says is, you know, they they drop in with a drop ship. They don't have helmets on. Guns are firing. You know, just like this whole scene that by the end of it, you know everything you need to know about that planet instead of just having, you know, uh, a dictionary definition or a, yeah. uh, an encyclopedic entry of what is this planet. So I, I've been taking that to heart and trying to use that more and more into my games when I'm trying to explain to my players different things. When they see a temple, mm-hmm. you know, what are the things they're seeing and how and, and, and using that kind of action to describe information that mm-hmm. they need. And then drive questions, ideally. So, yeah. Well, I agree, LB Hack'em Up. Uh, stop hating the UNT are the best. I agree. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I decided I just wanted the UNT to be kind of like, like persecuted almost for their wanting to change into snakes. Um, but I love you, Auntie. I think they're a great, great race, great villainous race. Uh, so super fun. And I actually yeah, have this li- idea. I really want to play a you, Auntie Sorcerer at some point. I've got Yeah, we just character. had in our one shot, uh, the one shot, which was the Crypts of Kelimbor, yeah. we had our first you, Auntie, LB Hackamup played a you, Auntie, and it was the first time I got to play one as a character or see one as a character being yeah. played. And it was cool because they had a dragonborn, they had a Yonti and they had a Cobalt. So they became Team Lizard, which was really good. And I even put in the, it even built this scene. You can go back and watch this as a plug for the, for the actual show. But there's a scene that I got inspired because they were really good about talking about their Team Lizard, that they come across a, a tomb robber group, a, a, basically another adventuring group, but they're grave robbers. Mm-hmm. And they're a dwarf, a half elf, and a tiefling. And so the dwarf that they interact with when in the very first scene, when those, when they first meet each other, the dwarf, I make this comment that the dwarf says, Hey, it's a group that's even weirder than we are. (laughs) They're like, what, what's going on? I just thought it was such a cool moment of this weird group of non-humans, the non-normals of D and D meeting the other non-normals because they say in the player's handbook, the normals are human elf dwarf. It's only four of them, right? It's human elf dwarf, and maybe halfling, and that's it. Those are the normals. And then the rest of the races are listed as the extra stuff that's out there. So it's all the other ones, all the other stuff. And it, that's why they're not alphabetical, and... if you notice in, oh, the, in okay. the player's yeah. handbook. They're not alphabetical because the main races that they intended for Dungeons & Dragons, kind of like basically playing Dungeons & Dragons, are just those four, mm-hmm. which was interesting to me. I, I can't remember who said it. I think it was... It must have been Jeremy that said it, or it might have been... Mike said it in one of his videos. And I was like, yeah. I never noticed that. I never noticed why they weren't um, alpha, alphabetized in the in the player's handbook. Hmm. But go Team Lizard. Go Team Lizard. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming up to the end of our show. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming out this Saturday morning and watching us just gab on about D&D because we love gabbing on about D&D. So anything else our you want to plug or talk about before we take off Solution? 
Uh, just check out the YouTube channel, all of the stuff that we've been putting up there. There's a lot of good Dungeons & Dragons stuff. This is a Dungeons & Dragons show, but there are some other things out there. So I do have some uh, Numenera stuff if you want to see it. I have some Star Trek Adventure stuff. We're going to be having more games out there, but I am doing more D&D stuff. I got a one-shot coming up with some subscribers, which is going to be really cool. Um, and I'm sure I'm probably about ready to send out the email to our McLancy Waddle group to say, hey, uh, Magpie Random, Jordan... PB, Greybeard, are we ready to maybe do a Sunday game and re reprise our roles as um, Elgath and uh, Blaze and I'm trying to remember everybody's name, Yuretsi and... I don't remember Magpies. Griselda. 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 <laughs> uh, because what I've done in that one is we've uh, we've advanced the story by several levels. So they started out at like third then we jumped them to fifth what we might do or i don't even remember where we jumped them to maybe it's time to jump up to 10th or maybe it's Ooh, time to jump a little higher and say oh now where are we at what's going maybe on? we so, wait till uh morgan canaan's tome of foes comes out so that could be good <laughs> yeah yeah that could be good so we might see be scheduling some of that stuff uh keep an eye out jordan's gonna be going on vacation pretty soon mm-hmm. hey thanks for a tier one sub from john east thank you very much um so we're going to have a couple episodes where we might bring in some guest hosts. So keep an yep. eye out on that. Yeah, I'll that be here be next week, uh, but the following week I'm going to be gone um, to Thailand for my honeymoon. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I, I know one more last thing. I know this is going longer than we want, but I just got my signups for Gen Con again. So I've had Monty Cook sent me the information to sign up to run their games. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at their big list of their days for Gen Con. Um, so I'll be signing up for running or demoing some of the Numenera or the Strange or the Cypher System games for them. I've also signed up and will be running games for uh, Magpie Gaming, which is Masks and Urban Shadows and some other um, Powered by the Apocalypse games. So I'm going to be running a ton of games at Gen Con. So if any of you people are going to Gen Con, come check us out. Um, I'm still trying to talk Jordan into going. I know Greybeard's going to be going. I'm trying to talk everybody into going. Yeah. I think even LBA Hack'em Up's going maybe this year. So we could do a cool meetup and maybe get to That'd play and throw some dice in person on a table. Uh, I think that would be really cool. What? So keep an eye out on that. <laughs> That's all I have. Okay, sure. cool. Well, thank you guys so much for watching, everybody. Um, and we will see you next Saturday for another Saturday morning uh, D&D show. It's always great to have you guys come out live. So thanks again. Um, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.